Ochoa. You asked me about my puppy last week, and so I'm going to ask you a not really a similar question. <laughs> simpler. Uh oh. It's 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 relevant. Uh, you'll see the connection. My question is. You go, you like to go to the movies. You watch movies all the time. You watch oh. movies at home. What's the, what's the last great movie you, you've seen? One that you really walked away and you were like, you know what? This is something I'm probably going to watch several times in my lifetime. Wow. <laughs> well, the one I, is this the one the, I, is this the one time in your life where you haven't seen any movies? <laughs> No, I just got finished. I got back from that Jesus Revolution one, which was pretty profound. Uh, everybody clapped in our theater and it was full. It's been a big surprise to people, but it's well put together and it's just a good movie. I don't know. Um, I don't know what it's about. I know you mentioned it to me the, when we well, spoke it's just in private. Yeah, well, I like history. And so it's a it's a it's a uh, a Christian movement, like a revival and it started in the hippies. And I think probably I remember as a little girl when it was going on, but it was the, they called it uh, the G, New, uh, Times Magazine called it the Jesus Revolution. And it was when all the hippies all of a sudden became, you know, they had been doing drugs and things like that for a while and they were searching for stuff, right? And it was pretty bad. But in the late 60s, right after, um, I guess it was right after uh, Robert Kennedy was assassinated about that time uh, out in uh, in California, I guess it was um, this one person, Lonnie, I think was his first name and uh, Frisbee, Lonnie Frisbee. Anyway, he became a born again Christian and he was a hippie and he just felt and and anyway he ended up in this chuck smith's church and it was a church that was actually dying out but his chuck smith's daughter challenged him to uh, you know if you really believe in a christian life then why don't you open your doors even to the hippies the most unwanted people at the time and so he did and it just started this whole movement that went across uh, i think the globe but anyway it was it's about that moment in time so it's somewhat historical and so it's really kind of cool because I kind of remember like where they showed certain things and I was a little girl, but I remember seeing my first actual hippie, if you will. Uh, you know, when I was sitting in, um, I, I was actually in the parking lot with my mom waiting on my dad to get out of the filling station because he owned a filling station back then. And I just remember seeing them in Canyon, but they, they were usually in, uh, you know, he was walking and he had the, you know, he had like the. Uh, I guess the fringe on his on his uh, jacket and had that sandaled look with the long hair and the beads. And I was just wild because you'd seen him on TV, you know what I mean? But I was like, wow, there's a real hippie. It was like, I just remember that moment. So I, I remember all of this was going on at that time. So it was during uh, you know, the, um, Vietnam war and all of that. And I was, a, I was a girl, a little girl. I was, I guess I was eight years old when they brought the soldiers home from Vietnam, when they, when they, uh, closed down the shop, if you will. And, uh, I just remember my parents talking about it and seeing it on TV. So I like going to historical type movies um i think one of my most profound there's so many of them schindler's list things like that but um my favorite all-time romantic movie is an affair to remember with um i like old movies so an affair to remember with deborah carr and uh carrie grant it was wonderful she's like the, the best scene in there is when she says it's okay i'll be okay i was looking up it was the closest thing to heaven you were there so yes i've seen that one lots of times i can quote it but just that look that carrie Grant gave when he realized that she couldn't make it that night because she got hit by a car he realized she was the one in the accident so i like those types of movies and i like historical movies i think one of the, another profound one uh, was uh, out of Africa when I went with my sister. We went to go see Out of Africa. And I mean, we were speechless when it was finished. We were like, it was one of those movies that you were, 
you, it was so wild for us and it was beautifully uh, shot. You know, I mean, it was just the photography and everything. It was just beautiful. I remember the plane flying over the flamingos and all of that. And so uh, the, the photography, if you will, the imagery of that was, was just really, really good. And so of course it was sad, but um, I ended up using the first part of out of Africa, just that very first, part first part of the book uh the introduction uh when I taught a lesson because she describes Kenya and when I taught geography I read just that first paragraph and did a whole thing about a description and had the kids describe their place where they live uh as she described the place where she lived so anyway it was it was kind of neat so I did use part of it It was just beautifully written you know that one I read the book and saw the movie Speaking of older films, I don't know if I talked about this. I know I talked about uh, the Romeo and Juliet lesson that I saw on my campus that I really liked. But the movie that they showed a clip, right? The the balcony scene where Romeo is kind of like, you know, creeping on Juliet and then they end up talking and, you know, she basically changes her mind about marriage and all this other stuff. But there's a scene in that movie that when you watch it, it is literally titanic like beat for beat the scene is titanic when uh you know leonardo dicaprio whatever his name is in the movie he's he's yeah he's down there and he's holding her hand and like it slides away or whatever and i was like that was like the so i was like oh that was on the on the titanic when he's slipping off of the, the little board. door yeah which i love that movie too we've seen that i can quote that one yeah. but that w- it made me realize i was like the titanic is really just romeo and juliet yeah, way. it really is, isn't it? In a and, way. And he and I think they were forbidden. They couldn't because they were not the same. That's right. Yeah, it was like, yeah, she okay. was married. Right. So <laughs> was that piece. Well, she, or they were getting married. Something. Right. They were getting two. married. They were getting so married. but mm-hmm. the so it was that piece. But then like the, the scene was like beat for beat. And this movie, I, I, I looked up Romeo and Juliet adaptions like a thousand of them. So I was like, well, I don't know which one it was. So I can't point to it. But it was literally. Uh, it was the same scene. I was like, man. So I was like, James Cameron, you know, I guess did a throwback acknowledging the fact that um, he used that as inspiration. I just thought it was interesting. I just never really, I never really made that connection. I guess, uh, I mean, in hindsight, it seems obvious, but it's just one of those things you don't think about too much. Right. Well, I remember watching the 1968 Romeo and Juliet. Maybe that's you know, that's is. the one that's the old one. That's the one where it does have some nudity in it. <laughs> and, uh, so anyway, I, we, you know, that's, that's a good old one where the the English teachers my age or get older, like discussing, discussing, uh, how, um, how you, how, what do you do with that scene? Cause you can't really let it be seen. And so I got where I was pretty good, but the first time that I ever showed it, cause that's what we all showed back then. I did not, I wasn't ready for it. And I mean, I knew it was in there and, but I, I didn't have my timing down and I mean, I jumped up in front of that television. <laughs> okay, kids, I can't get the TV off <laughs> fast enough. <laughs> but anyway, I got where I, I, you know, I, I showed that every year and, um, I got so good that I knew exactly on the VCR when to turn it off. So I timed it where my lesson would end right there before that scene. And then I would do a concluding exit ticket. What did we learn? Talk about, you know, the, whatever it was. And then the next day I'd fast forward. And then the next day we'd start nobody, the kids never even knew that scene existed. I got so good at it. But the first time I was like jumping up and down. No, hello, look over here. What happens. (laughs) I didn't get in trouble, but you know, it was, I knew it was in there because it was, uh, you know, one that we watched when I was younger. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this is not a Romeo and Juliet podcast. This is not an old movies podcast. This is a workshop <laughs> podcast called Craft the Draft. That's Pamela Trump, Jacob Chastain. We are two English teachers down here in the state of Texas doing what we love. Pam's in the classroom. I'm in administration now these days, but I'm also in the classroom talking with ELA teachers, and we are discussing what we love, which is workshop teaching and literacy in general. So... That's what we're going to talk about today. But before we get to that, I want to tell you this podcast is brought to you by you, our faithful listeners and our Patreon supporters. 
You guys support us on the free feeds by subscribing, leaving reviews. They support us by throwing some dollars our way to get bonus access to episodes that no one else hears, training, exclusive videos, and so much more. And they are Alicia, Brandy, Leah, Mark, Amy, Sarah, Rebecca, Courtney, Carol, Nalissa, Destiny, Lori, Natalie, Susan, Tracy, Andrea, Hannah, Lori, Jen, and Matt. They all support us. They're over there on that community. Check us out on Patreon if you want bonus episodes, bonus training, and so much more. We greatly appreciate that. We have a bonus episode coming up probably next week because it is spring break here, and we always try to knock those bonus <laughs> ones out when we have a little bit right. more time. So I'm sure that will be coming. It's probably going to be a question episode. I feel like we need a good list of questions. So if you have questions, whether you are a free listener or Patreon listeners, send us those questions. It might still just stay on over there, but maybe you can jump over for a month or so, get your question answered, and then you can leave. You know, we're not holding you captive, but we'd love to have you there. So thank you those to those who support us over there um, like you do. But today, Pam, we're going to talk about instructional rounds. This is something that in my district we're doing fairly recent, or no, we're doing fairly often. Um, I've been on several, and we go to... Uh, not just our campus, but we actually go to our feeder campuses and we go down to kind of the intermediate and then we go to middle school and then we go up to the high school. We have specific things we look at and all kinds of things, but we've also done instructional rounds. You and I have done instructional rounds and we've just orchestrated teachers going into other people's rooms. So we're going to talk all about that and more on this episode. All righty, Ms. Ochoa, before we get to that though, I think I say before we get to that more than any other phrase. <laughs> In podcasting, because I, so. I say it on Teach Me Teacher too. Do you really? That, yeah. How funny! That's I guess my, I guess you do. That's my uh, that's my phrase right before advertising. So okay. it's that like, makes sense. Yeah. On, so on Teach Me Teacher, just before we get I to go, that. Yeah, just before we do well, this, and I, I say it like that too because I cut and paste the ads on Teach Me Teacher because it's like monthly, and so I'll be like, but. Before we get to that, and that's an, it's a really nice cut that I can do. So no matter what I say in the beginning, I can throw that in there. Anyway, that's really inside baseball. We're 12 minutes in. Let's actually get to something. <laughs> we got some feedback uh, wow. from two people. I kind of wanted to read their stuff because we, uh, you know, I like to bring in our listeners and let them feel valued. And, and, you know, I love responding to DMs, but also reading it on here. It's always fun. But Carol had sent us... Um, a DM. She said, I love you both and appreciate your insight. You helped me start the school year. Well, the craft book and draft book, which was a game changer in my ELA instruction. Our writer's workshop is going well. I augmented the writer's workshop with the materials and ideas shared by the structured writing teacher by Robin Mellum. Are you familiar with her? You might want to check her YouTube channel out. So for anyone who's interested in what we're talking about, go check out her YouTube channel. Carol, a hardcore listener and one of our biggest supporters uh, thinks that they connected. So I don't know. Have you ever heard of uh, Robin Mellon? I have not. So I'll have to check it out. Yeah. And so I thought that'd be nice to share. Tracy also DM'd us. She said, hi, Pam and Jacob. Thank you again for being my people. I'm not Aww. sure if I have shared this, but I am a teacher in Pennsylvania. I am fortunate to work with a colleague that very much agrees with my thinking, but doesn't always take it to the degree that I do. However, I wish I had more of my people that understood me. I wanted to quickly share a connection that I was making while listening to your podcast, making choices. I'm currently working on teaching argumentative writing after much reflection, which I do often. I noticed that my students were having a hard time. I had shown the mentor text of arguments while examining the writer's craft, and I had given choice on their topics during writing time there. They were not as engaged as I would like them to be. Boy, howdy. Did we know that Ochoa? Mm -hmm. Yesterday, I decided to pick up and model my thinking on a topic. I chose why cell phones should be allowed in school and the classroom. They couldn't believe the topic. After about two minutes, one of my students raised their hand and said, you don't really think this, do you? I laughed, kept teaching and shared that I was going to fake it. I made the point of saying that you can prove anything with evidence. We brainstormed our reasons and I had a few websites to research. I also found that many of my students don't know how to research. I timed them and had all of them read for three minutes. Then they opened a Google Docs and typed all the points they had learned and wanted to remember. Then they went back to their article and read for two more minutes. I then modeled how to get started with the intro paragraph. And today they will be working on their own. I will let you know how it goes. Thanks for being my people. 
So she's experimenting. She's having fun. She look at that. I mean, there's I so many, it. there's so many good teaching things there, right? She mm-hmm. figured out her kids didn't know something. She kind of went back to the drawing board. She got them interested by modeling a topic modeling. that engaged mm-hmm. them and then encouraged them to do something with a little strategy to get them actually writing, which is what we preach about all the time. Strategy. Don't let the strategy run it. Cause I mean, that idea of having them read, write, read, write, just to kind of get some words down. You and I both know that there are t- if that was presented in like a workshop, like a PD, that would become a lesson that ended up in the curriculum. And all of a sudden, something that should take five minutes, 10 minutes, maybe 15 minutes becomes an entire 50 minute lesson. And you're just having burning out kids reading and writing <laughs> for a whole period. You know, that would happen. That is true. <laughs> well, you know, I just got finished doing the argument, too, and and I had the kids choose. I was going to. I think I told you off air, but I had a student, a seventh grade student who wanted to talk about electives and how we need more choice in school. I also did the same thing. I let them brainstorm and figure out their own, you know, what they want to write about. And so that was his choice. And he quoted Marzano in his research. He found Marzano and he quoted uh, how he, how choice helps with engagement and uh, so that was pretty cool to support choice. So I had a seventh grader support it. I thought that was neat. So it is fun to experiment like that, like what she's doing. And then she'll, she, I think she'll be pleasantly surprised. What do you think? I think so too. You know, there's, I don't know. You know, I just, I think that the more you dive into knowing your kids and the more you problem solve and tinker with stuff and don't get so stressed about you know, having to be in certain things or certain places all the time. I think it just opens it up for things like that, for a kid to find mm-hmm. Marzano and, and everything else. And that's kind of what we preach a lot anyway. My puppy's in here now. Um, it's just that idea um, of letting kids explore it and, and really embracing that idea of workshop. So I think it's good. So shout out to our wonderful listeners, Tracy and Carol, yeah. for reaching out. Anyone else? Share your stories. Do whatever we love. To connect with you guys, she's let's talk about uh, instructional rounds. What is it? I mean, I feel like instructional rounds are a perfect example of something that is a really great idea and gets ruined often. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. And so, I mean, you've uh, I think you you've been a couple different waves of instructional rounds. Um, and so I kind of want to get I, like in, in traditional craft and draft form, I think asking you just kind of when, when it started coming around with you, whether as a literacy coach or, or an academic coach or, a a teacher, what was that process like originally? Like, was it something that you felt was positive? Was it done negatively? What was, what was that process like kind of in the beginning when this was introduced to you? Well, the first time that I ever did it, it was in the 90s, um, about 90, 93. Um, and that was through my Abydos at the time. It was New Jersey writing um, in Texas. And one of the things that they did is in order for us to be trained, they wanted us to see the process, the writing process and how it's presented from K all the way to 12. So we were looking at writing process. So we actually looked at something specific to see how it was done at all the different levels of of, uh, education. And one of the things that they wanted us to note is that kindergartners are writing and 12th graders are writing. In other words, writing should be continuing all the way through and it looks different. And so that was one of the things that they wanted us to watch. So that's what we looked for. And then we at the end, we debriefed the day and talked about some things and highlighted stuff. So that was the first time I did it. And then I didn't do it again until another 10 years, 10 or 12 years. And one of the, um, the my school that I worked for, I didn't ever do it at the high school after that. But when I went to middle school, uh, we had a principal that we had a principal that would that had read research and stuff and wanted to do instructional rounds. So what he had us do is uh, during our, you know, we, at that time he had everybody meet kind of like we do today in PLCs. And uh, we had questions that 
we ask ourselves about how we wanted to improve our own um, teaching. And so we reflected on our, ourselves and what we would like to improve upon. And then we went around and on our conference period, we had to do like two or three uh, a grading period. And we would go to someone. And so what what the teacher, the receiving teacher, what they'd have, like if you're going to visiting that teacher, on we had to have like a clipboard hanging next to our door or some sort of bin that had um, forms already in it. And so what we would do is, so you would say things I want to work on and then things that you, you know, positive feedback and things like that. So then I would go into your room, let's say, and I would look at your form. And as I'm walking around, I would be looking for those things that you want to work on. And then I would give my suggestions to you as a fellow teacher. And then things that I saw that were really good that I would like to try in my class, I would write those down as a positive feedback. So we had And I don't know exactly how it was ranged, I think, but that was my second set of rounds that we would do. And that was with that principal. And we did that for several years. And, you know, I saw a lot of great things and, uh, and I got a lot of feedback and good feedback on things I should do things, you know, what, what other people did. So I got a lot of ideas from that, but that was one thing that we did. And then as an, as a literacy coach or academic coach, uh, we actually went to your school I think it was before you were there and we actually did an instructional round training from a group of people in Canada. I guess they brought them down. And so then we actually went on instructional rounds and we, we, um, what they did there is as a group, we looked at what should good instruction look like. And so everybody listed that. And then what we did is we went and looked for good instruction based on our own definition And so that's what we were looking for. And then as a group, we would get feedback to the set of teachers that we were assigned to go look at. So, and we were encouraged to ask the kids and things like that. And then the last set that I went on, um, I think that one was the most beneficial and that was curriculum instructional review. And what we did is we looked at the curriculum and we would meet with the teacher before we went and looked at the teacher And the teacher would tell us uh, what they were working on, what their lesson was about, how it was aligned. And then we went in and we actually, from a rubric standpoint, what did we see at that moment in time? And then we talked about it as a group and then we made suggestions and then uh, we would have the teacher rate themselves and then we would have a discussion and talk about what we can do next time. And they focused on different aspects. They focused on, um, maybe engagement and you're looking, what did the teacher do to engage the kids? And the teacher was, everybody was looking at engagement. Another time, everybody was looking at, let's say rigor, you know, so there were different things that we were specifically looking for in that classroom, but the teacher had a say and, and got to explain what they were trying to accomplish. And we got to tell the teacher what we saw when we were in there. Did they meet that or did they not? And so it was those kinds of things. So it was, those are really my main basic ones that I've done. So I've done it from, I think that's really several different ways of looking at it, I guess. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of the stuff that I've seen as well. You know, we're doing them, like I said, at the top of the episode at where I'm at now and kind of our district, but really what my first experience with them was a really laxed version. And honestly, it was kind of the, the original idea for teach me teacher and podcasting in general, because the, te- the principal we had at the time was pretty intense about PD to where we literally had a staff meeting every week. And those staff meetings, though, it was like you could do AM or PM, but it was always a training. Like it was never just sit and get right. It was always yeah. a strategy we were learning. We were looking at data. We were doing all kinds of stuff. And truthfully, it was one of the most intense ways for me to learn. But it taught me a lot. Like, I, I don't think you should do that. (laughs) Like the way, (laughs) the way we did, it's a little too intense, but it's, I love the idea of a constant kind of like treating staff meetings as PDs like that. I, I've always loved that idea. Um, 
But what we did is my first round was really we we were just told in our PLCs, hey, you know, you guys are going to use this PLC, you know, twice a month and y'all are going to go into classrooms and you're going to go watch stuff. And sometimes we had stuff to look for. Sometimes we look for very specific things like, um, you know, at the beginning of the year, we were looking for, you know, like attention. Right. How many kids are are paying attention to the lesson or engaged or how many questions are asked or what kinds of questions are asked or how many times does the teacher have to redirect all that stuff just to gather like a real bird's eye view of a campus and look at data, um, which I think is super cool and interesting still to this day. Um, but that taught me a lot too, as a brand new teacher. Cause what happened was kids that I was struggling with, I would see them in other classrooms and they'd be perfect. Oh. And so I realized, Oh, it's not a them problem. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and so that was really interesting and, and I found that valuable, but then, you know, as the years went on, we started doing a little bit more advanced stuff to where we were going in really trying to look at stuff. And then later, you know, as, as when I became a department chair, it became more about assessing where we were is the curriculum working is our strategies that we're trying to do working. What rigor are we working at? You know, the, the whole rigor and relevance kind of framework, so to speak, um, which has always been really good. And now what we're doing kind of where I'm at is this vertical piece to where our area super comes down, our head of ELA curriculum comes down, we get a bunch of principals involved, and then a couple uh, department chairs. Um, and we go and we have there's like a little rubric that we do and it's all digital and we, we just kind of uh, whatever teacher we go into. Uh, we click on their name and we give them basically instant feedback. And then after, let's say we do a round at a campus, then we all go sit in a conference room um, and we discuss. And the whole goal is whoever are the home people at that campus. So like when we were at our campus, I took notes of all the feedback. And then I was in charge of kind of summarizing that and sending it out to the teachers. Um, oh. And so it's a really cool just way to get snapshots of stuff. And, one of the things now that I'm thinking, you know, about like kind of the struggles of walks and instructional rounds or whatever you want to call them is I, I think the big struggle is the, the taking of everything personally, right. Is, is the getting feedback in a way that is constructive and giving it in a way that's constructive, but also just training your staff that like, this isn't a gotcha now it has to not be a gotcha because there's, i've definitely seen walks that are gotchas where they're looking for very specific things and it's more yeah. of like a, if you don't have this you're going to get a talking to um so first of all it has to have that but also just having this like on our campus you know we just our, our department chair does a really great job of talking to staff and it's like hey you know this is literally a snapshot like if we're looking for you know, we have four different domains we're looking for. If one of them is collaboration, but we walk into your class during a mini lesson, pro I mean, there can be collaboration there, but the odds are a little lower, right? Mm -hmm. If we're at the end of a lesson, we there might be a little bit more independent work and less collaboration and less direct teaching. So it's just, and, and it's, it's that idea of snapshots, but also kind of having the conversation about why snapshots are good, right? If you do several snapshots, at three or four different times of the year from multiple different teachers and your data really does have a trend, then you know that you need to work on some things. And that mm -hmm. why that's a hard concept for people. Do you find that? Yeah. Yeah, I think, well, I think really the hardest part, looking at data, looking in other people's classrooms is exactly what you're talking about, uh, where people are not taking everything personally. Uh, and I think that's really hard for people to do. And then actually, like you said, seeing trends and stuff, you know, it, you have to do it more than once. That That's another thing that happens now that I'm thinking about it is you, and you said it's something that you could like do really bad. And I think the worst thing that you can do, and I've been, I've experienced this more than once. And that is everybody's gung ho for the first time maybe the second time and then nobody does it again. They forget to do it or yeah. somebody, they, they drop the ball somehow or they go, well, we don't have time this time. Let's just put it off until the next time. Well, if you, the minute you put it off, it's not going to happen again. 
until the next person comes around that thinks it's really important. Um, that's something I've learned. And you don't help yourself when you stop in the middle of this. And that's why they can't find the trends that you're talking about, because they don't stay long enough to see, make a difference or to see the difference or determine the difference and do something about it. It's got to be a long-term goal and has to have a broad vision, I think. Yeah. And that's difficult to do. Um, and I think it comes down to communication. I think it also comes down to you kind of have it's one of it's in a way it's kind of like workshop because you have to do it mm -hmm. to understand the value of it. That's and, true. And it's it's really hard to stand in front of people. And I've I, I've I've experienced this from a person who people tried to do this to me. And I've seen it as someone who's tried to get people to do it is it's really hard to be like, hey, guys, this is going to be great. And this is why you're going to do it, because everyone's busy. Everyone's got a thousand things to do. There's a million reasons not to do something. But the moment you do it and you do it with fidelity, mm -hmm. the, the amount of growth you have. Uh, just oh, yeah. in, in your knowledge and your practice and your awareness of the campus and practice and teaching and uh, just different things that people do picking up all that. It's, it, it, it's one of the most insurmountable things. It's the best PD out there is to watch other people teach. I've learned more about teaching from being in all kinds of classrooms. I don't have to watch experts all the time, right? Going to Ron Clark, I definitely get a lot of out of it. But also going into like a first year struggling teacher, guess what? I, I learned all kinds of stuff by watching that. Um, and that is that is it's you can't really quantify that, but you can't also really explain it like you it's just you just have to experience it. I mean, have I mean, you and I did this together as coaches, but mm -hmm. where we where we tried to bring people in and to really look at classrooms and, and to even kind of reflect on practices like that, but what kind of levels of success have you got in terms of like, what has worked for you to get buy-in from people? Well, to, to actually, well, well to get buy-in, I, I think the number one thing about buy-in is your administrators have to be on board with you. They have to really want to do it and and do whatever it takes to make it happen. I, I think number one, because I have been there where I've tried to continue it on my own as like an academic coach or something. And if that principal is not with me or they're not understanding what I'm trying to do, then I don't it doesn't go very far, very fast. So I think your administrators have to be on board with you and they have to walk with you uh, because if it's not important to them, it's not going to be important to anybody else in the school. Uh, that's one thing that I have learned. Another thing that we did to start with buy-in uh, when I was at a beginning as an academic coach um, what we did is we, I had, I had, I was responsible for setting up the plan. And when we set up that plan, what we did is we started with department. So like all the history people would go see the history people. Does that make sense? And then the math people go see the math people. And so we would do that for the first six weeks. Then the second, we were set up on the six weeks basis. Then the second six weeks, we would have the math, people and the science people go see each other. And then we would have the history people and the English people go see each other. So we had it pretty organized. It was really organized. We, we were able to do this one for at least four years until things changed. And when I say things changed, the administrator changed. But uh, with the with that original administrator that I had, we did this and we built it. So then what we did in like the third one is then we had the math and the history, you know, then we, you know, we viewed it differently. You know, in other words, the two that haven't gotten to see each other, we put them together. And then by the time we were at the end, uh, not the very last six weeks, but that, you know, that towards the end, um, we had teams that would actually walk the school. And so, so, the history department would go and see the whole school. And then me and my assistant principal would walk with them on those assigned days. And so what we did on that day is they had PLC. So they would do it during their PLC time. Uh, 
or their conference time. And when PLC time, that's when uh, the history people would go see, see, you know, they couldn't see each other on a, you know, during the PLC time, right? So then that was assigned to their conference time. So on their conference time, they would have to go out and see each other. And they we did that for a week. And we we canceled, if you will, the PLC and let that be their conference time because they're and turn their PLC time, you know, their conference time into like a PLC where they would go out and and do that. And then the next time it would be, you know, all the history department would go out and see the English department and vice versa because they had different uh, PLC times. And so they kept their conference, but we would go out during a PLC time. And then at the very end uh, to see the host school, um, they would go out as a group and we would do that throughout the day. So we would just pick a day and do that uh, several times during six weeks. But that's what we did. We would focus on different parts each six weeks. And I think that right there uh, made the biggest growth, if you will. It, it was a, it was responsible for probably the largest growth that we made on that school and that school. And uh, as a result, we ended up, you know, we have distinctions here in Texas and we ended up with all six distinctions uh, by the time we finished that whole that very next year after we started that. So it was pretty cool how it worked. And uh, I felt like a lot of teachers really grew during that time. Yeah. I, I like I said, I, it's, there was so much growth from in my practice. I think that was the best thing about being a literacy coach was just being in so many spaces mm -hmm. and, and just experiencing it. Now, here's the thing that I think a lot of people complain about. And I, I'm interested in your take because I don't I don't know. I mean, I, we, I mean, we've probably talked about this before, but <laughs> <Probably>. <laughs> I mean, at this point, um, who knows? But the one of the big complaints is how short a lot of walks are, like how much little time you spend in a class. And now I, I kind of hit on this when I was talking about snapshots and whatnot. But do you I mean, what's what's too short? Like, is there is there a spectrum like there like you need to be in here for at least this amount of time to catch something you need if, if you stay in too long? Is that ever bad? Like, what's a what's the time frame that you think is a is quality? I would say. 15 might be your sweet spot, but anywhere from 10 to 20. I mean, if you're staying in there more than 20, you're, you're probably impeding on the instruction that's going on at that time. Um, I would think because the kids, I mean, nobody feels that comfortable and I'm used to people being in there watching me and I still don't feel completely that comfortable, you know, and the kids don't feel, you know, they, so I think that's the sweet spot personally, about 15 minutes but um, I would definitely spend 10 minutes in there to get a good feel for what the classroom is like. But I think 15 is probably your sweet spot. Yeah. I don't and know. also what depending do on, I don't know. I think it's sometimes it depends on what's going on. Like, you know, you walk into a space and, you know, like, think like nothing's really going to change for a while, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sometimes yeah. You just close out and be like, all right, we'll go to the next one. But, you know, I do. Yeah. 15 minutes is pretty good. I... I don't know. I mean, I'm sitting here trying to answer it. You know, I definitely think that being in there too short can be bad as well. Like, mm -hmm, you know, just mm -hmm. I think five minutes is a little too quick. Um, it's like, what are you going to see in that time? Um, but it's also, I well, think, go ahead. No, five minutes is when you're just looking to see if they have everything up that you've asked them to have up. Yeah, that's the checklist. <laughs> that's walk. about all. That's just a checklist. Yeah. Um, but yeah, to really get a grasp of what kind of instructions happening, um, you know, 10 to 15 minutes is definitely a good chunk. And what's funny is it sound that sounds short, especially 10 minutes, but you can tell, man, you can tell what a class is doing. Like there's, you know, we have a lot of teachers on campus that we watch and, um, a lot of them are really great and they all have different teaching styles, but you know, you walk in and you're like, okay, so they're at this kind of point in the lesson. You can get a lot about kind of what's happening in instruction, especially if you have targeted walks too. I think that's really the key. It's like, what are you looking at? Are you looking for transitions and how those work? That might need a longer walk to see depending on what that's is happening. But if you're looking mm -hmm. for just to capture questions, I mean, you might have 20 questions in three minutes, <laughs> you know, it's right. just, it just really depends. So I think that is also key is kind of calibrating. Okay. What am I looking for? And realistically, how long do I need to be in a classroom to kind of see 
these elements. Um, I think that's interesting too, is having those talks beforehand. I don't know. You've, I've never read the instructional, is it, what's it, what's it called? The book you mentioned right before we went live. <laughs> instructional yeah, rounds. there, I think. Yeah. Instructional rounds. So I've, I have never read it. I've only, I've read like snippets and I've been presented on with it and mm. all of that. But I mean, do, do they advise? I think it's, I think it's an ASCD book. I think is how it was published. What's there? Do they, do they have a time advisory in there? I don't know. I would have to look, but it's like over there. You want me to get up and look, no, and look you for you it? You don't need to do that. We'll just assume. <laughs> I, I we'll assume we're right. <laughs> I haven't seen it in a long time. I mean, I know it's over there. I know. I know you have I mean, every I book, can... Ochoa. This isn't. Just about. <laughs> I know. How you a, I've got a real problem. Well, I've lost it. I mean, I think I've lost a job opportunity one time because I read too many books. The, the the interviewer goes, so what are you reading right now? And I said, uh, Visions of Vygotsky by Wink. And he goes, okay, thank you. <laughs> I think he thought I was making it up. I really was reading the book. <laughs> you know, it's so funny. Our uh, <laughs> There's a guy I, I work with who um, they, he was, he, we were talking about interview questions because um, a lot of our teachers who are wanting to be, you know, administrators or whatever, they're, they're talking about that. And so we were, we were just talking about, you know, just good interview questions and whatnot. And he said he was asked that and he was like, why? He's like, I'm not reading anything, but it's like he had to like make up something. Oh my gosh. That's so funny. Donalyn Miller. She also says that I've heard her, uh, her new, what she talks about now is she talks about, uh, you know, she'll always talk about, you know, reading good stuff and what are you reading? And she'll even say, you know, if it's not your time right now and you're not reading a lot, what have you read in the past that you really like? It's just because <laughs> people are busy, man. I don't I haven't read. I haven't read a PD book in a while. It's probably because I haven't. Heineman hasn't sent me any in a while, which is kind of disappointing. But um, I I just I, this this year, it's just swallowed my time and my focus. I'm lucky yeah. enough to even sit down and podcast sometimes because it's just like, good Lord. It's just, I have, I only have so much brain capacity. I can't. <laughs> so I'm, I'm really hoping like this summer we're going to, uh, at our admin team, or at least most of us are going to TASP down in Houston. Oh yeah. Um, which will be super cool. So I think finishing the year going down there and then, you know, just kind of resetting and having some grasp on stuff. I'm hoping to really get back into the, the PD space. Cause there's been a lot of really great literacy, focus stuff. Um, I really want to do more deep dives into the science of reading and com combination with workshop. Um, and really do all that. I just haven't had the brain capacity to do it now that we're in spring. It's like right now we're just, you know, we're like now 11 weeks to, to summer. So yeah, you're just trying to finish up. Anyway, that was a long tangent back to what instructional was. was. No, it's, uh, truthfully though. And, uh, you know, this might be a good way to kind of wrap up this episode is, you know, I think there, I think having these is really cool. I don't, and I don't think you have to do it really officially with administration. I think it's a really cool idea for, you know, anyone who's listening to this show to be like, Hey, you know, let's for a PLC, let's just go visit some classrooms and visit some other content areas. Go, if you're an English teacher, go to science, right? Go to social studies. See if you could find literacy practices in other subjects to figure out how you can support them. I think one of the funniest takeaways from, you know, just being in different classes, different teams and whatnot is the, the dealing with the, the pressure of everyone going, you know, you're in charge of making my kids write better. It's up to you to get my kids to read better. Right. They always look, Eng social studies teachers look to the English teachers to teach them how to read articles right. and science teachers look to the English teachers and everything else. And we're in charge of all of that. And I think that some of that is somewhat true, but literacy belongs in every classroom. And I think doing rounds and going to subjects that aren't yours is truly a great way to go. Oh, this is how literacy is in math. This is how what we're teaching can kind of support them rather than just being told, you know, <laughs> All the literacy has to go to English first. No, that's true. One of the um, one of the best thing I, I had an opportunity. Do you know who Robert Ballard is? Doctor Ballard. He found the Titanic. 
So I had an opportunity to go listen to him speak. And he talked about in his speech to us, we were all educators in the geographic world, but he talked about how we need each other. Every discipline needs each other. And that we're not really, we don't learn in isolation. We don't live in isolation. And he talked about when they were searching for some kind of ship and at the bottom, they were mapping the sea or looking for something else. And they actually had a discovery of a new species in, I guess, one of the ocean basins. And uh, they pulled it up and they were like, Oh, does anybody have a biologist? Do we have a biologist on board? And so, you know, they they needed somebody when they found that they realized who they didn't include and they were they needed to preserve this and they didn't have all the right disciplines. So they had to like improvise. And it was like, even though that's too boring, mean, it's not writing, but they had to be able to write about it. They had to be able to describe it. They had to be able to, I mean, they just talked, he just talked about all the different parts, um, you know, how they had to preserve it and who knew how to preserve it. And well, none of them did. They were all ge- geologists. And I mean, they were like, wait, we need, we need the chemist and we need the writer. We need the photographer. We need the, and so he was just saying, as teachers, we teach in isolation, but we don't need to, because when we go out there, we actually learn and live not in isolation. So that to me, that was a great example of why literacy is important and literacy of all things, not just uh, one area. So well, I thought that was pretty cool. And here's the interesting thing too. You just brought mm-hmm. up two separate things in my head. I did. I'm sorry. So it's okay. We, uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson, scientist extraordinaire, oh, yeah. who mm-hmm. I'm, I want him on Teach Me Teacher. I'm going to get him on Teach Me Teacher. I have some connections. He's just a very busy man. I have people that know him. I like him, with him. Yes. Is that right? I would abs- I would adore having him on the podcast. But yeah. he uh, he had made these posts about how the stars in the movie, the Titanic, or bringing that up again, um, full circle. <laughs> Everything. Sorry. What? I I have this, I used to share this uh, book. It's a memoir book, but it's a hard. Anyway, uh, I lost it. But anyway, what she says is I can teach anything if you give me the Titanic and I can teach anybody how to read with the Titanic. She's a little elementary teacher. Anyway, go ahead. So it all comes back to the Titanic. It's the point. So. (laughs) And Robert Ballard, you know, I told you him, he found the Titanic. It really does go to the Titanic. It does. Go ahead. It, this is the episode of the <laughs> Titanic. That's the title of this one. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. This is it's so funny. I don't know how we get off on some of these things. Um, so the stars on the Titanic. Yes. So he was posting about <laughs> it that the stars were wrong in the movie according to that time and and when it was supposed to happen. And so James Cameron actually went in and digitally changed the sky to fix it in later kind of iterations of the Titanic. So if you watch like an original printing, it's wrong technically, but you would, no one would know that except for whatever. Now here's my other thing that it brought up to me. And this one is kind of, I mean, this is, I mean, it's relevant, but it's, it's all the same concept. So Eric Weinstein, who was on episode 200 of the teach me teacher, he's been on Joe Rogan a bunch. He, he's a physicist. He does a bunch of stuff. He was on Rogan. Of course, they're talking aliens and whatnot. And he's talking about (laughs) how he's been reached out to by government officials that don't name themselves, but they keep telling him like there's going to be releases of like technology at some point in the future that break the laws of physics or to defy the laws of physics. And his answer, and I think this is a really cool answer, and this relates back to what you were saying about being multidisciplinary. His question was, okay, so are you a physicist? And the guy's like, no. And he goes, so how do you know it broke the laws of physics? Do you have physicists working on this? I, he goes, he goes, if you're telling me something breaks the laws of physics, I need to talk to a physicist. Right. And it's uh-huh. kind of, you know, so to kind of wrap this up in a weird way, it's the, it's that idea of if you, you need to understand what you're looking for. And if you're looking for it in the right places, it's kind of like going back to our, the idea of data talks, right? Your data on multiple choice gives you a lot of information and it tells you a lot about your kids and it gives you a lot of insight about how well they can read inference, et cetera, et cetera. But 
it might not tell you how well they can really analyze a story or the effectiveness of, of language and all of that stuff. And so it, none of it's bad. What happened when thing, when data or information or whatever becomes bad, it's usually user error. It's when we decide to try to fit something into a, 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 a certain hole, right? A square mm-hmm. peg into a round hole. And it's just not going to work. And so I think that, I think that's uh, from my final point on instructional rounds is whatever you're <laughs> looking for, whatever you're going through, I can't believe all of that got me back here is <laughs> the, it's really the concept of what am I looking for? or What are we looking for? What do we want to find? And how are we going to gather that data? What shows us if we're looking for engagement, are we, let's define what that means. That's People right. can be engaged in quiet. Kids can be engaged in loud. Kids can be engaged in their seats and rows and they can be engaged moving around just because kids are moving around. doesn't mean they're engaged just because kids Mm -hmm. are sitting in rows and working doesn't mean they're not engaged. And so I think that's where we really, I think that's where you up the level of your instructional rounds and your, your instructional practices. When you start asking those key questions, quit assuming everyone has the same definition of engagement or rigor or relevance and have those conversations as a campus then move forward. Well, I like that. I think your idea of having conversations as a campus, getting that mission, making sure everybody from the top down or the down to the top uh, is all on board and um, try to, I think that data removes that person that, you know, like taking it personal. If we're all looking for something that's similar in each other, I think that helps a lot. And, uh, but I would definitely, I guess what I want to say is instructional rounds, going around and seeing each other teach. I want to go back to what you first said, and that was it grows people. And I think if you really want to grow your teachers, you, you got to make it happen. And that is it for this episode of the Craft the Draft podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Hopefully you enjoyed it. If you did, subscribe so you don't miss any other episode. We drop an episode every single Friday, sometimes on a Saturday, like we have done a few times, <laughs> uh, mainly because of our busy schedules and things going down. Or yeah. Friday night, whatever happened. I don't remember when the last one jumped up. Maybe it was Saturday. I don't really remember. But regardless, subscribe so you don't miss anything. Leave a review if you have. We've gotten a few more reviews. People jumping in to the show giving us more five-star ratings we actually love it if you want more of this podcast though bonus episodes bonus training bonus videos bonus access to all kinds of things and direct dm access to us if you want your question right on the air if you want all of those things join us on patreon you can become a listener to get bonus episodes listener plus to get all of those other extras and goodies including stickers and a tote bag if you stick around long enough which is absolutely amazing the merch is real it's out there we've seen pictures Come join us. We'll make it worth your while. Come back next week for another fantastic conversation and know that we are here for you.